Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. In lesson one, we talked about cultivating a pure heart because it's all about what's on the inside of us, not just what happens on the outside of us. So we talked about that. Then we talked about the nine different sources of offense, the reasons why we get offended. And then, of course, we talked about initial steps of freedom. And these were general principles to help us to deal with the issue of offense, not only why we get offended, which we talked about, but how it is that we pivot and cultivate an unoffendable heart. I talked about how we deal with offenses in the church among brothers and sisters, people that name the name of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How do we walk in freedom? How do we deal with these things? Because I'm not teaching people to be a doormat. I'm not teaching people to avoid. I'm not teaching people that it doesn't matter. In the Bible, there is clear wisdom as to what to do and how to do it. And so we walked through Matthew chapter 18. Today, we're going to look at dealing with offense, how to handle offense in the world. And that's definitely different than how we handle offense in the church. And you're just going to see that as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and also just review what we looked at in Matthew chapter 18, just the last verse that we looked at, verse 17. So anyways, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and then I'm going to have a few other verses here and there, but let's go ahead and pray as we open the Word of God together. Amen. Father, we thank you for your Word, and we look forward to what your Holy Spirit will teach us. We pray for the grace to walk out what your, what your Word says very clearly. Help us to lay hold of the truth of your Word. And Lord, no matter what our views are, our opinions are, God, we pray that ultimately that your word would have precedence over everything else, all of our feelings and thoughts, because we follow you. So we thank you that you're leading us and that you're our pastor. So shepherd our hearts into a place where we are unoffendable. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. We are dealing with offense. We're talking about the reasons why we're offended, how we deal with things when we are offended. What do we do? What does the Bible say? And in our final lesson, we're talking about dealing with offense in the world. And I want to just bring your attention to Matthew chapter 18. Why don't I just go ahead and read verse 15 to 17. And here's what it says, Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. This applies to sisters too. Now, women, I want you to understand that. It's not just men. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. It's like, let him go, be how he wants to be. So even if this is a brother or a sister in Christ, they're acting like a non-believer because they're not listening to accountability, they're not listening to witnesses, they're not listening to the word. And so if that's the case, then you have to treat them as somebody who does not submit to God's word. And therefore, they don't have influence in the church, their influence is removed, and the way that you interact with them has to be to pursue their heart. And I just want to bring this up because when you think about how we deal with offense in the church, which Matthew chapter 18 clearly identifies that there's this assumption 
that we all are under the lordship of Jesus, that we all adhere to God's holy word, that we all are filled with the Holy Spirit, that we're are led by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says those who are the sons of God and the daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. So what we have here is that Jesus gives this concession that there is a time where when you try to deal with an offense among a brother or a sister in Christ, where they just won't listen and they refuse. And they are choosing to act like somebody who is not under the lordship of Jesus, does not agree with or align their heart with the word of God. What do you do then? You treat them like a tax collector or a pagan. What does that mean? It means that there's a different way of dealing with somebody who's a Christian and your offense and your sin that's been done to you and somebody that's not. Isn't that amazing? And so I think a lot of times that we get more offended because we deal with offenses in the world the way that we're instructed to in the world. And Jesus is actually making this distinction, and we've got to get this down in our hearts. They're not the same. We don't act the same. Some general principles will apply, but it's really important what's on us. Now, certainly people are going to sin against us. People are going to offend us. People are going to wound us. All of that's true. Jesus doesn't want us to be a doormat, but he gives us a higher purpose for the way that we interact with people in this life. Why? Because we are reaching people for Jesus Christ. And here's what I want to do. There was a message that I preached at Northwest Church, and it was called Pursuing an Unoffendable Heart. What I want to look at is that same verse that I used, and I just want to do it in this context, how to handle offenses in the world, because I believe that Peter lays out to those in the church that were scattered beyond in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and they were facing persecution, they were facing insults and ridicule, being reviled, they were having all kinds of issues and difficulty in the church, but also Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, or sorry, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, he actually helps them to understand their disposition in the world. And I think that we can grab hold of some truths for us as we think about how we are to treat people, how we are to see people, and how we are to navigate through relationships with non-Christians as it pertains to offense. Now listen, I just want to start with this illustration and tell you this before we open the book of 1 Peter. If, if you were to say, if you were standing outside and there was a blind person, now again, all respect to those that are blind, but I'm just using this as, as an illustration. If you're standing outside and it's just, it's a nice, hot, wonderful day like it was yesterday, like it's going to be today in the Pacific Northwest, 80 degrees, sunny out. Come on, somebody. We don't get that very often. So praise God that we're getting it all this week. Summer has finally come. You're standing outside and there's a blind person next to you and you say, hey, do you see that beautiful sun? And they say, no. And they say, what do you mean? No, just look. You can, you, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? And they go, no, I don't, I don't see it. I'm, I'm blind. And then you get offended at them because you think you're not looking at this. It's, it's, a, it's just kind of a funny picture, right? Like, why would anybody get mad at a blind person for not looking at or seeing something that they want them to see? Well, the reason is, is they're just not thinking about it or they're absolutely ignorant to the reality of what's going on here. Here's the fact. Nobody's going to get mad or upset with a blind person for not being able to see what they're asking them to look at. You just won't. Why? Because they're blind. And that's how we need to look at this issue is that a lot of times that we retain and, and, really, and perpetuate offense among those that are non-Christians because we're expecting them to see something that they can't see. 
we're expecting them to feel something that they probably won't feel or deal with something that they can't deal with. The reason that Jesus said in Matthew 18, deal with this person who is acting like a non-believer, deal with them as a non-believer, is because he's just making that concession that you're not going to be able to get anywhere with a person that doesn't have Jesus as Lord, the Word of God is their truth, you're not going to get anywhere. They're not going to agree with your truth. It's going to be your truth, my truth, and not God's truth. And that's what we're saying. We're saying that a Christian says, I adhere to God's truth. Non-Christians don't believe that. So does that mean that we're never going to have any peace with them? As much as it depends on us. So the scripture teaches us how to have this disposition. And I think in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read about that. And I'm going to go through some of the points that I've previously made, but I'm going to reshare them in this context, how to handle offense in the world. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. I should actually read verse 9, but let's just go ahead and uh, let's start with verse 11. If you're following along, I'll just read it. Uh, but if you have your Bible, I'm using the New American Standard. And it says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers or foreigners to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among Gentiles. This would be non-Christians. So that in the thing in which you are slandered as evildoers, that they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is the second coming. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or governors as set by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Notice fear God, honor the king. Not fear man, fear God. The reason that we would do any of what I'm saying or suggesting is because we fear God. We give honor to whom honor is due, but we only fear God and revere him the way that the scriptures teach. Verse 18, servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with great patience, right? Because you, you basically got what you, what, you were, what you were looking for. But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Why? Because you are doing it for the Lord's sake. You are loving God by enduring persecution and suffering. Why? Because of what it produces, Jesus being that example. He says in verse 21, You have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. That would be for others. He says, Jesus, who committed, this is a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 22, He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. This is really, really powerful stuff. And it really helps us when we talk about how to deal with offense that is inevitable in the world. 
people that do not believe what we believe, people that do not follow Jesus as Lord, people that do not believe or find the Word of God to be relevant for them in their life, for how to live and how to behave, but we do, and that's the point. The reason that we can behave a certain way, the reason that we adhere to the principles of Scripture is because of who we're following. Now, some people follow themselves, some people follow others, some people follow culture, some people follow other religions, other voices, other leaders, but we follow Jesus, and as a result of that, we have a certain way of behavior among those that don't. We understand they're blind metaphorically speaking, to what it is that we believe is truth. Not just our truth, but I believe this is the truth. But if I hold a certain person to a standard that does not believe that, does not have the Holy Spirit living in them, then I am misunderstanding my role in their life. Now, you might ask me, the, ask me this question, Ben, are you saying that the Word of God doesn't apply to everybody? No, I'm saying the Word of God is it applies to everyone. But what part of the Word of God applies to a non-believer? A non-believer cannot, will not live out God's words, God's ways, God's principles until they have the Holy Spirit. So what applies to them in this season of their life before they're a Christian is the Ten Commandments. And that is the law to bring about conviction in their lives, know that they need a Savior, and therefore be saved and set free from their sin, forgiven from their sin, which only Jesus can do. And when that happens, then they, of their own choice, their their willingness, their willing volitional choice, they will submit and yield themselves to the Lord, and we will interact with them accordingly. So am I saying that people won't be held to an account? No, they will. But my role in a person's life as it pertains to relationship, is to see them through the eyes of Jesus, that he is reaching them, reaching their hearts to restore them into right relationship with him. And so this is really important. And I think there's a couple principles that will help us to not just be a doormat, but have a purpose in how it is that we handle offense in, in the lives of those that are not Christians and don't believe what we do. And the number, number one is this, we know our identity in Christ. All right, you and I need to know who we are. Verse 9, he actually goes on to say this, and let me go ahead and read this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says to those that he's speaking to, Peter does, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and to, into his marvelous light. For you were once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers and foreigners to abstain from fleshly lusts. What's he saying here? Number one, you need to know that you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You have been set apart to God for his purposes in Christ. That is who you are. And sometimes when we're dealing with people that aren't Christians and all of the affairs of this life, we forget that there's a difference. We're not in just some elite club, but we have been awakened to who God is. We've been we, we are no longer asleep to the reality of Christ. Jesus rose from the dead, and now we, spiritually speaking, have risen from the dead. We are alive in Christ. We are born again. We have the Spirit of God living in us. Therefore, we're awake to His principles and His ways and the leading of His Spirit and the truth of His Word, and we no longer are subject to the fleshly lusts, and we can have power and overcome those things that once held us captive. This is such an important principle that we've got to recognize, and we can't forget when we're dealing with other people 
who do not know the Lord, we can't forget who we are. We can't forget what we know. We don't know it because we're better than people. We know it because he woke us up. We know it because he gave us the precious Holy Spirit and he's leading us. So that means that we're called to a higher standard, not to guilt us or shame us or condemn us or set some standard that we can't achieve, but rather to give us purpose. And that's what this is all about. He uses the term foreigners. And I just want to remind you, foreigners are those that lack rights and privileges and responsibilities in the land that they're in. Why? Because they come from another place. We are citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And so we are citizens of the kingdom first, and then whatever nation that we're a part of or we're born in, uh, whatever residency that we have is second. So for me, I'm a kingdom citizen first, and I'm an American second. And I cannot get that confused. If I do, I will be utterly offended in this life by people that I'm called to reach. And that's what Jesus was speaking to. Uh, Peter here speaking to Jewish people, right? They could feel the way that they do in many different respects. And he actually says, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation. But then he says, use that Use that in your understanding of what that means to then reach people. Understand your role. Understand your purpose. That whatever you have in this life is a blessing, is meant to be, whatever blessing you have is meant to be useful in God's hands for God's purpose. So he continues to say, knowing who you are, abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against your soul. Our behavior comes out of our identity. When we know who we are, we know how to live. And so our living, our lifestyle, our behavior flows out of the confidence that we have in knowing who we are in Christ. So if we're not fixed and focused and having this mindset, I mean, it's like a military mindset. We know who God is. We know who we are. We know what God has done. And we know what we are called to in this life. When we have this mindset... We understand that there is a war against us to pull us back into those fleshly lusts that Jesus set us free from. And those things specifically are dealing with offense, right? How do we know that? Because he's speaking to the issue of Jesus being our example and no deceit was found in his mouth. He was not a person who reviled in return. He didn't insult in return. He's speaking about the words, the offense, all of those things that are coming against this people. Jesus dealt with it as well. Knowing that, we've got to be clear and we've got to be clean. We've got to understand what we're doing and how we are to posture our lives. And we've got to know, listen, our human nature wants to be in control. Our human nature wants to react. Our human nature, I should say our sinful nature, it wants to respond. We want to have this visceral reaction, right? We want to treat you the way that you treated me. But Jesus teaches us this higher place, this higher principle. And so our external pressure cannot allow what's on the inside to This outside can't dictate what's on the inside. What's on the inside is we're full of the Spirit of God. We're grounded in His Word. It's got to be stronger. Do you know who you are in Christ? And do you know how that changes your posture and your disposition toward people around you, in particular, non-Christians? That's number one. Our offenses and our corresponding actions reveal what our first allegiance is actually to, or should I say who it's to? Is it to Christ? Is it to self? Is it to culture? Is it to something else? We've got to know that. And so we've got to make sure that Jesus is our primary and first allegiance. 
The second thing he says here is we must be subject or submit to governing authorities. In verse 13, he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Every human authority we're talking about in our world, right? In their world, it was definitely you know, governmental leaders, Roman leaders in particular, those that were dominating the known world at that time, they were not godly in any way, shape, or form. The human institutions that were that had authority over the people were not godly. There, there were very few, if any, godly people that were in charge. So he's definitely talking to a people that heard this and went, what in the world? That's it, in the world. <laughs> in the world, you're going to have these kind of leaders. He's saying, but you need to know who you are. You need to know how you're supposed to posture yourself. Submit to governing authorities. In our world, that's going to be... Um, those that are in government, those that are in civic leadership, those that are in local leadership, those that are in law enforcement, we're talking about military and police officers and so on. You say, well, Ben, what about when we're in disagreement? Civil disobedience, which would actually mean nonviolent disobedience, civil disobedience would only, and spiritual disobedience would only be in place or only be our response when somebody is asking us to clearly disobey God's word. If, if a government leader or a leader of any kind said, you can't preach in the name of Jesus, we see that in the book of Acts. They preached in the name of Jesus, and they took whatever came as a result of it. You can't read your Bible. You can't pray at all. Like, maybe you can't, can't pray here. Well, that doesn't mean you can't pray. I can't pray in my heart. You can't dictate that. So if somebody's saying you can't do something that is in clear violation to the obedience that we must have in God to God in His Word. No, we're going to absolutely comply with God's Word. We're going to obey God's Word. But it's got to be a plain reading of Scripture. And what I've seen during this time is people take the Scripture and just contort it and distort it however they, however they do, and they've said, well, this is what the Word says, so I'm going to follow that. Is that what the Word says? Because a lot of times when I'm pressured or pushed as a pastor to do X, Y, or Z, a lot of times it's a private interpretation. It's not a clear interpretation. So what I'm saying that for is we've got to be so careful to study the Word and make sure that our understanding of God's Word, our clear obedience to God's Word, is based on what it means, not my private interpretation. We, we cannot just allow any in interpretation. We've got to make sure that we study to see that these things are so. When we submit to governing authorities, we do it for the Lord's sake because we become an example. Offense is going to come in a pluralistic society. What I mean is many different religions, many different opinions, many different views. That is the freedom of religion pluralistic way. That That is what is going on. I know some Christians are, we, I mean, we want righteous leaders in the land. That's not what I mean. But the fact is, is that we have many unrighteous leaders in the land. We have many leaders who have their own agenda. We have different parties with different philosophies, with different thoughts. And certainly everybody wants conformity to God's word. But we live in an imperfect world with many different ideologies, many different philosophies, many different theologies. What we've got to do is make sure that as we submit, it's not just when it's easy or convenient or when we agree with people. We've got to submit to governing authorities for the Lord's sake so that we can reach people. Once again, the way we handle offense in this world has got to be based out of this submitted heart that we have understanding that we are following an example that's been laid out for us by Jesus because we have a purpose. We are here to reach people for Christ. And so we are at peace with all men as much as it depends 
on us. Certainly there will be a time where we will have to break the chain of command, and maybe that will happen in our lifetime, maybe it won't. There are people all over the world that are suffering persecution because they are preaching the gospel when they're told not to. They're reading the Bible even though they're told not to. They're doing things that the Word of God says even though they're told that they can't. And so that has to be prayed through, walked through, but as we do that, we understand that we're going to suffer persecution. But we've got to make sure it's persecution as a result of us obeying the word and not just our version or our own thoughts. In our world right now, I've led us into following Washington state guidelines and reopening the church. And I know that sometimes people feel like, you know, I even watched a video this morning where a person said, you know, I'm just tired of the online church and the church needs to open and stop capitulating and compromising to the government. Man, I just, when the more I listened to this person talk, the more I could, I could feel their anger and frustration. And you know what I also realized? They were not a pastor. And that's the thing, right? It's like, it's pretty easy for a person to say something when they don't have to lead through that. They don't have to reach the people in their neighborhoods. They don't, I mean, just as many people are going to be upset when you open the church building as when you don't. We had a prayer meeting last night where we walked out into the neighborhoods. There was 20 of us that showed up. We had 20 people that showed up and we had about 25 people that didn't come onto the property, but they were praying. And so I, I see you, I know you're there, but we had at least 25 people that were praying outside of that. So we had about 45 people praying last night at 7 p.m. You can't stop us praying. You can't stop us sharing. You can't stop us doing that. And what I want to do is in this weird time of pandemic and where we're given guidelines and we're reopening the the community or the society slowly, we're giving our government a little bit of time. We're not saying that you're right or wrong. I don't, I'm not personally in a place where I would say I agree with everything and how it's been handled. But right now, my goal is to lead the church to be the church. My goal isn't just to hold out for when we can open the church doors. And so we want to be very careful that we don't lose our purpose in the middle of what's being asked of us and say, well, this is just unrighteous and ungodly and it's against the word of God. There may come a time where that's the case. I'm not saying that time won't come. But right now, when you got, I can't go work out at the gym and I can't go in certain restaurants and I can't go to certain, I mean, there are restrictions against all of society. So I don't feel that it's just a persecution of the church. If that day comes, friends, ladies and gentlemen, we will pray through that. We will seek God in the midst of that. I can promise you that we're going to pray through all of that. And I do pray through all of that. But we've got to realize right now, what is God saying to us? in submitting to authorities? Is it better in reaching our neighbors? Is it better in reaching our church? Is it better in reaching our community by listening to what's happening across society and saying, look, I may not agree with how it's being handled, but if I come out of submission, what is that going to do to my prophetic witness? I mean, on one hand, I can invite like those from our government and those from our police department into our building and do like a conversation, but if they see that we're just not aligning ourselves with how everybody is having to submit and go to governing authorities during this time, how is that going to ruin our prophetic witness? And sometimes people will say, well, you have the fear of man. No, I'm really not. We're praying through this and we're dealing with things day by day, week by week as they come. I'm not asking people to be in agreement with the government. I'm saying that the word says submit to the governing authorities to the police officers, to the military. This is why I was not for when the riots went out. I was not like, oh yeah, we can understand the riots. 
No, for Christians, I'm not speaking to the world, I'm speaking to Christians, that we've got to understand our place and our position, that we're not out there condoning anything. We're there submitting for, praying for our local leadership. We're asking God to redeem things. We're asking God to move in power, to bring about peace, to bring safety, that people would come home at night. We're asking that people's lives would be redeemed and saved and set free because ultimately we're all gonna cross over that threshold into eternity. Either we're gonna be with him or we're not. And so our crying out, our prayer, our desire is to reach people for Jesus. That's the whole point of our submitting to governing authorities, because ultimately our goal is to submit, therefore, to God. And God's word says, submit to governing authorities so that you can reach people in the name of Jesus. And so that has to be our filter. It has to be our grid when we think about the world stage and what is happening right now. Are we submitting to the Lord and therefore submitting to the governing authorities for the purpose of reaching people? Or are we just saying, I'm just going to submit to God, and however that shakes out, it shakes out. The only time we want to do that is when we're clearly told that we as the church cannot do what God's Word clearly says. And so we've got to be very, very careful Because when we get offended by things that are happening in the world, or we get offended by what we're being told to do or not do in the world, we've got to make sure that our offense is handled with the world based on Scripture, not our feelings. But here's the thing. I have compassion for how you feel and for what you're going through. I get it. We all feel a certain way. There's certain things I don't like, certain things that I don't feel good about. But I am saying, God, what do you have me to do? I'm not saying, how do I feel and how can I get angry? If you're constantly angry, hear me when I say this. People of God, listen to me. Hear me when I say this. If you're constantly angry and irritated, and that anger is festering, it's one thing to get upset. It's one thing to get angry. It's one thing to have that rise up. But what do we do with it? If we're not giving it to God, if we're not studying His Word, we are just going to respond in the flesh, and it wages war against our soul. And we're going to allow ourselves to be angry. We're going to allow ourselves to be bitter. We're going to allow ourselves to respond in the flesh, and we're going to make excuses. And all the while, what really happens to us is we lose our purpose, our purpose to reach people. The reason that we have soft hearts to people, even when they do things to us, say things to us that's wrong, is because we're trying to reach their heart like Jesus was reaching our hearts. So the purpose of submission is connected to the purpose of our mission. Now, point number three, we must follow the way of Jesus as our example. Peter explains here in verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. In other words, God is our judge. God will vindicate. God will bring vengeance. God will deal with things in the end. We can trust him because he is the one to judge rightly and righteously. See, the word example, saying Jesus is our example, it means writing under. That's what it means in the original language. And it's like if you had a piece of paper that had a map on it, and you were to take another clean white piece of paper and put it on top of the paper with the map, and you were to trace that map, The idea is is that Jesus is that paper with the map on it. He is our trace, and our lives are placed on top, and our lives are to look and to be traced like the life of Jesus. He is our example. He is our writing under. He is our trace. We want to make sure that our life is like Him, 
And that really is what it's all about. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He did not come just to invite us into a relationship that was separate from the world and we go out and live in the mountains and then we don't have any opportunities to be offended. No, he said, I want you to be in the world and not of the world. He called us out of the world. He set us free from ourselves so that we could obey him and we could reach people. This is what it's all about. Jesus gave himself gave his whole life to reach people in the world. They offended him all the way through that, and he absorbed that offense. Here's my question to you. Are you able to absorb the offenses of the world in order to reach people's hearts? Are you able to lose the argument in order to reach a heart? Can you make a point without making an enemy? These are so important. Why? Because sin against you will not produce sin in you. This is the principle of us living as Christians in the world. Our example and the way our behavior is exhibited among non-believers, it silences the talk, the foolish talk of the ignorant and the unbeliever. But the question is, is that what they're seeing right now? Do they see love? Do they see grace? Do they see patience? Do they see prayer? Do they see generosity? Do they see kindness? Do they hear the gospel of Jesus preached and shared clearly? Are they seeing discipleship? John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Are they seeing that among us? Friends, we've got to go back to that place. Jesus has called us to such a high place. He's given us the spirit. He's given us the word so that we could do it. You and I, we can do this. We can look like Jesus For this we were called. Whatever we suffer, we suffer in the name of Jesus so that people are reached, people are discipled, people hear the word, people's lives are changed, those that are vexed are delivered, those that are sick can be healed, those that are lost can be found. We're all about this, but we're not going to see those things happen unless we posture ourselves properly. That's what this is all about. We've got to follow our example. Our example is none other than Jesus himself. So you got to look at this like the word revile means to pile up abusive and vile language against someone. That happened to Jesus, but he didn't give it back. Though verbally abused, Jesus didn't retaliate with any vicious words or threats. Can I talk to you for a moment about how you are on social media? Can I talk to you a moment about how you are on email? Can I talk to you a moment about how you respond to the things that are happening in media? Can we talk about that for a moment? Because what I'm seeing is is that people are misunderstanding who they are in Christ and they see all this stuff on the media and they see all this stuff in social media that they disagree with. And I'm not saying you shouldn't or can't, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is how you interact with people, how you and I talk to people. Is it a stewardship of Jesus or is it a stewardship of the flesh? The flesh wages war against our soul. Are you upset? Are you angry? Are you bitter? And are you lashing out? Is that what it is? You know what I would suggest? I would highly suggest taking weeks off of social media and media. Why? So that our hearts can be clean. If our hearts are not maintained, we're going to lash out and we're going to live by the flesh and then we're going to justify it. Instead of entrusting ourselves to God who judges righteously, we're going to entrust ourselves to ourselves and try to give to others what we think they need to they need to have. We're going to say to them what we think they need to hear. And so we think, I'm speaking the truth. No, you're getting something off your chest. We're getting something off our chest. We're not just speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is that careful process and approach where we're prayerfully 
considering what we're saying and we're saying it to people. We know what we're saying and that there are times where it's going to carry a cost, but we know what that cost is because we can clearly find it here. And when we do that and we're talking to people in the world, are we explaining and educating or are we just flippantly saying things to people that just don't look like Jesus at all? There's a place for educating. There's a place for explaining. And we can say something that somebody might consider terrible, they might they might disagree with, but are we saying it in a heart that looks like Christ. There are a lot of times where I talk to people that don't believe what I believe, and I educate them about Christianity. I disagree with them, absolutely. I disagree with people all the time, non-Christians, but I handle it in such a way where they're not angry with me. I say, hey, hey, it's okay, it's okay. We clearly have a disagreement. I can remember sitting down with several from different religions, and it was like people were trying to make our religions less different. And I was the one at the table who said, wait a minute, the last thing that we wanna do is somehow think that our similarities don't mean that we have differences. So let's be really clear. We all have really clear differences. And I think one of the ways that we can love each other, the way that we I can love them, is to know what the differences are. So I use that as a platform to educate people about Christ and about Jesus and about the Word of God. And they clearly disagreed with me, but I was able to sow those seeds and I didn't do it in a way where I was angry. What I'm saying is be careful how you say things. Be careful what comes out of your mouth, the way in which you speak to people. If you're trying to reach them, you can make a point without making an enemy. It is possible, and Jesus can show us the way. Because the gospel is offensive enough. When I preach the gospel to people and I share that our righteousness is as filthy rags, I'll tell you what, everybody is not going to hear what I'm saying perfectly. And so what we've got to do is make sure that we are following Jesus' example, not in just what he said, but how he said it. Amen? He's our example. We also know that uh, we cannot forget our purpose in this world. He says, he himself bore our sins, his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we were healed. He's not our, only our example for suffering for us, that his substitutionary death in our place brings life. But he also shows us that in how Christ did that for all, in a small way, we're an example of him. We're not substitutionary atonement for people, but we're an example in that when we suffer for the sake of others, we're giving our lives so that they might see Jesus. And listen, we've got to die to the flesh in order for people to live unto God. They see something in us and they go, why are you like that? And you know what? We're not perfect. We're not going to live perfectly, but we've got to be able to remember that our purpose in this life and the reason that we're not going to get all offended at everybody that's going on or all the things that are going on around us and all the things that are being said to us is because our purpose is to reach them. So Ben, what are you saying? How do we handle offense in the world? What I'm saying is, number one, we trust ourselves unto God. When somebody says or does something to us, we actually need to come to God in prayer. That's number one. We've got to go to God in prayer. Lord, I know that, that they're not able to see this. They're not, they're not able to reconcile with us. Ben, should I talk to somebody about what's going on? Sure, you should, but with lower expectations. You cannot deal with an offense with somebody that is non-Christian and ungodly or, or just doesn't believe in the word. You cannot deal with that offense in a way where your expectations are the word for them. They may, you may get a bonus. Somebody may be able to reconcile with you. They may apologize. That might happen, but you can't expect it. That's what I'm trying to say. Just like you can't expect a blind person to see the sun if you ask them to. They're not going to be able to do that. You've got to have right expectations. So you and I have to come to God. 
The third thing is we got to forgive people. We do that vertically. Now, are we going to have a restored relationship with everyone? No, because in order to have good relationship with people, there has to be repentance. So repentance is on their end, but we can still forgive without a person actually asking for forgiveness or even um, somehow repenting as a result of us sharing the truth with them. You and I can do something with God vertically before we ever have restoration and relationship horizontally. That is absolutely possible. But fourth, we've got to maintain our witness in the world. We've got to realize that a lot of what happens to us gives us an opportunity to shine the light of Christ in a world that is very dark. We are a light in a dark world. And so when stuff happens to us, it actually provides an opportunity for us to suffer and endure in a way where Jesus is seen clearly. And my question for us is, are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to go through hard stuff and endure it in order, to, or in order for Jesus to shine in our lives? If we're not, we're not going to get over offenses in the world. That's just so important to what Peter is actually saying. It, this, is, this is not about being a pacifist. This is about being gospel advocates. You and I are not pacifists. We are gospel advocates. If somebody breaks into my home, am I going to protect my family? Of course I am. I'm not asking anybody to sit down and, and not protect. There's a difference between protecting your family and your loved ones and enduring suffering and difficulty and shame and persecution and verbal persecution from people for the sake of them knowing Jesus Christ. And this isn't comprehensive, but this is just where we start. I could probably do a whole nother 10 lessons on just how we deal with offenses in the world because scenarios require us to prayerfully consider what we do. And so can I just close by saying, if, if you're there and you're saying, well, Ben, that doesn't answer my question. How do I deal with this offense that I've gone through? Study the Word of God and pray through the issue that you're facing. Seriously, be, you are fill, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, He will lead you and He will guide you into the proper response. What I would warn you is do not act in the flesh. If you act in the flesh, it will always end in some kind of destructive way. That is not the way of a Christian. Follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Follow the truth of the Word of God. And that's what I'm giving you in 1 Peter. It's the truth of God's Word. And when we're grounded on that, we're going to find life. And so will other people. Amen? Well, if you have any questions, you can send them always to me at ben at nwcfoursquare.org. I know I didn't cover it all, but we covered a lot about dealing with offense. And there are a lot of other questions. I'm glad to answer any specific questions. If I didn't answer them categorically, hey, I'm sorry. Don't be offended. <laughs> I love it. Don't be offended. Amen. Can't get offended at me for talking about dealing with offense. But listen, God will lead us. The Holy Spirit knows everything in advance, and He knows exactly what to say to us for the situations that we face. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit gives us everything that we need to deal with the offenses that come, whether that's with brothers and sisters in Christ or in the world. And I pray for my friends that are watching, would you bless and strengthen them? Give us the grace to follow through with how you're leading us in this world to possess unoffendable hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.